the NFL stands for not for long. Except Sharga and Armstead. Roll out. Walker still running out. Looks to the left. Wide open. Thompson touchdown. Colin Thompson with the touchdown. There was nobody within 20 yards. What of a catch off the bobble. Colin Thompson scoops it up. Lofting corner of the end zone. It is caught for the touchdown. The first NFL touch for Colin Thompson is a score. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Colin Thompson Show presented by Not For Long Media. Hope everybody had an amazing weekend. We sure did here in my house celebrating uh, my wife's 30th birthday with friends and family and Father's Day, um, which we'll get more into on our second episode this week. We're going to have a interview that we did a couple weeks back with... Brett Coleman, this guy, if you don't know who he is, is a football media genius. I think he's awesome. A great follow across all platforms, truly diving into more football. If you want to learn about the game beyond the fantasy football stuff, who's going to have the most catches and this, that, the other thing. If you want to learn offensive line play and this quarterback and this, that. Brett Coleman, this is for you. I mean, he is for you. This is an unbelievable interview. Did a few weeks back, like I said. Talked about a lot of stuff. But I want to talk about our friends over at the original Fudge Kitchen, shipping fudge and sweet treats across the country. It is time, July 4th. If they can't make it down the Jersey Shore, send your friends some fudge. Fudgekitchens.com. Bring the Jersey Shore to them. Them and that's salt. Sweet saltwater taffy. Check them out, fudgekitchens.com. First time listening to our show, you can find us on all platforms. All of our other shows at Not For Long Media, you can find it on all platforms, all social media, and all places you listen to shows. Uh, but again, happy Father's Day to the fathers out there. I would be nowhere without my dad and my grandfather and my uncles and my coaches and all those father figures in my life. This media company wouldn't exist. My playing career would not exist. Uh, the strong relationship I have with my wife and friends and family would not exist without my dad and the wonderful people that, you know, he surrounded me with, especially when it comes to men. Very fortunate to that. And I'll get it. We're going to get into that later in the week. So happy Father's Day. Happy 30th birthday to my wife, Sydney. And again, I hope you guys really enjoy Brett Coleman. He was, I mean, you're just going to hear how blown away I was. And it was an amazing conversation. We were really to dive in and peel back onions and layers and get into it so without further ado i'll shut up this is the collins Thompson show brought to you by not for long media i hope you guys enjoy brett coleman all right we got the great brett coleman in the building today how you doing today brett i'm doing great thanks for having me on bro i'm first of all i want to apologize okay not that you need my fandom because you have plenty of it you have a fantastic youtube page okay and that's not just me blowing smoke. Uh, I am blown away. And I am subscribed. I am alerted. I am all the things that you're telling your followers to do. I am all in. So I just love your work, man. I'm, I'm jacked up to have you on the show. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. There is a lack of people in the media, people around the game of football that aren't in buildings, talking about the game the real way mm -hmm. talking about it like 
an NFL player would sitting at a bar on a bye week saying, well, Carson went through that pick. Well, did Carson went through that pick or like the track, the tackle fell or whatever it may be. Like, I love the inside of the game, obviously as a player, but how did you, how did you fall in love with it of, of just breaking things down and presenting it to the, to the country saying, Hey, you know what, this is going to be a good idea because there's a space available here. I, I just think football fans in general love to learn. Right. And it's always seen as like, ah, it's a, it's a sport for jocks and it's just a bunch of people running around hitting each other. And it's like, no, all these guys are doing rocket science in real time while they're out there on the field. Like it's, it is the most difficult team sport to play in my opinion, because it is extraordinarily complicated and it gets more complicated every single year. Right. Yeah. And it's not just schemes. It's about techniques. And there's also a human element too, right? Like you can get presented a certain look a certain way. Uh, and then the next time you see it, you're convinced that that's what you're seeing just based on, um, you know, the whites of a guard's knuckles or the direction that a receiver has their toe pointed pre-snap. It's like, Oh, this is the release that I'm getting. And then they get you right. Like, you know, it's, it's a ruse. It's, it's, they're presenting something pre-snap that you're not actually seeing. And so there's, there's like that human deception element too, um, times 22 guys in the field. And I, the thing that I want people to understand is like fourth quarter in the Super Bowl. Every single play at that point in the season for all 22 guys that are on the field and all the dozens of coaches that are on the sideline. Every single play in that situation is the culmination of experiences that they've had in the last six months, things that they've gone through injuries that they've sustained, things that they've seen on tape, things that they've learned from all their failures, all their successes comes down to those plays in the fourth quarter. And for guys that have been in the league for 10 years, it's a culmination of 10 years of learning and 10 years of failure and success. And there is no team sport that complicated where thousands upon thousands upon thousands of reps doing the same thing over and over again against dozens of different looks against dozens of different guys where it all comes down to that one play. That's why the game is great. All right, Jack, call it my favorite guest of all time. Uh, and the episode. <laughs> that's a wrap. Wow. Wow. How articulately said, well said, man, there's a lot to unpack. That's like my new term on the show. I need to change that one. There's a lot to unpack there, which is fact. Um, yeah. Like if you think about basketball, right. Very individualized player could be mm -hmm. just shooting jumpers in the off season, right. He's just, and he's working on his jumper because for that one moment for that one shot, but the amount of times you practice the outside zone and inside zone and fitting your backside hand on a cutoff block and, your first step and working on your sprinting and working on that you practice in football way more than you play. And again, I'm not sitting on here. I'm not going to come on my show and, and I'm going to say football's the best sport in the world and everyone else. No, but there's an intricacy to it that you're saying, and it's the best sport to you and I, but there's an intricacy there of just everything boils down to the field. That's why I'm a firm believer of taking care of things off the field because they really trend on to talk about the human mm -hmm. element. I went right to, personal things and I'm, I'm kind of all over here because there's so much things you digest you you, you had to say um and just so really well put um where do I even go from here because I'm just on my heels how unprofessional of me um the human side of it too 
it's a really unique thing you brought up about film study. And that's what makes the pros the best, right? Because you think you have them. You know, every week, the DN, he's, he's cocked in this way. They're bringing some sort of pressure off the edge. Every week, the DN gets down to a five, you know, a four eye, or he's in a five or whatever it may be. They're bringing, you know, boundary pressure. Uh, there are the things that you're looking at offensively. Uh, has there been things that have caught your eyes over the years watching film? You're like, yep, they're doing this all the time. Every time they do this, they're doing this. And then one week you're watching and it gets kind of debunked. Have you seen that before? Oh, yeah. Like um, the Patriots, and this was 10 years ago, um, the Patriots would run mesh. Like they would they would run empty mesh out of a, a certain look that they would motion into, and they did it like 10 times throughout the course of the season. And I'm trying to remember wow, what AFC team they were playing. It was like 2011 in the playoffs. So that was back when they had, um, you know, the Boston TE party and they would get into big personnel and then spread out and run empty with two tight ends just because they could. Right. Um, and so they would run empty mesh out of this one look over and over and over again. And then they got to the playoffs and they, they used the same motion. They got to it and then they, they converted the two unders on mesh into return routes because they knew that they were going to, they were going to play inside leverage on it and like step in the bucket. And then Jules, you know, caught a, caught a return route for a, a big gain on it. And I was like, son of a bitch. <laughs> like they, they, they spent all year, <laughs> all year setting that play up for a, a random first down in like the second quarter. Right. Like I can't remember exactly when it was and what game it was, but I was like, they spent five months setting up that play. I could see Jules with his like yellow undershirt on and like him catching that ball with the same player cleats he wore his whole career and he's just running around yeah. like knifing, <laughs> knifing it for 20 no it's 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 very interesting that's a scheme wise i've seen it with players individually where again i'm watching a d end an outside backer you know you look at uh cam irving and um not cam irving christ the, what's his name in in seattle defensive end. uh right now yeah uh, Cam. oh uh no, can't I can't remember. Well, so they have a whole rotation in Seattle now. No, it's a, it's um, what's his name. He's been there forever. Oh, Why Bruce Irvin. That's you. You talking about Bruce Irvin? Yeah, Cam yeah, yeah. a former teammate, Carolina. Thank you, Bruce. Bruce would get tight, right? And he, right when he get tight, and his shoe would be on your outside foot, he would cross face, and then but you would kind of break the puzzle and know it's coming. Sometimes yeah. you do it, and he jump outside and set the edge, and you're like, oh, he's now he's now he's starting to mess with me a little bit, like I. Just again, I didn't. I've never played Bruce, but last year we played them, and we were prepping the tight ends and talking to different things and looks with our tight end coach in Carolina, Kevin Gilbride Jr., about what I think Seattle's going to do uh, and how they're going to do it. For me, my favorite offense to watch in the NFL, I watch the first half of every one of their games just about every week. If I have a little bit more time, I watch their whole game is the San Francisco 49ers. I think it's the most fun <laughs> offense to watch if you're a football uh, nerd. They're evil. The they're evil <laughs> emotions the shifts the changes for the same exact plays i mean you know and maybe a wrinkle here and there what the personnel groupings to match it and make it go like an unbelievable puzzle because what they have at fullback and tight end what they have a receiver because they can block what they have at running back even without c-mac now with c-mac that's a whole another ball game uh and then the, you know the smart intelligent quarterbacks they've had to get things done at a high level can't imagine playing quarterback in that system but i pick up a lot of things from the tight ends over there i put a lot of it into my game uh what say you your favorite offense to watch in the nfl on a weekly basis uh i would say 
it's either Andy in Kansas City or it's Kyle. And I would say Mike McDaniel, Miami too, right? Which is in that same kind of Shanahan vein. Um, but especially when looking at the Shanahan guys, uh, Mike McDaniel more than probably anybody else, their ability to create angles and space and, and they help their offensive linemen like no other offensive coaches by giving them angles to work with. They don't make you do a block that's really hard to do. Like if uh, if the linebackers are in a, a certain look where the center knows, like, I got to get out. Like, I, I'm sorry, I can't give you my backside hand. I got to go. I got to get there right now. They are the type of offense that's not going to make that backside guard try to handle a shade by themselves, right? They will change it and they'll turn it into a fold. And they'll, and they'll have the backside guard just fold around the center because the center's got a better angle. And they'll know, like, hey, we're going to lose a couple steps on that mic, but that's fine because if the center or if the if the shades pin backside and the and the mic's scraping over the top and he's giving us his shoulder, guess what? We'll just push him front side. The nose is backside, and we got to see him anyway, right? So they're not going to try to make two guys do really tough blocks, you know, trying to beat a mic front side and trying to you know reach a shade by by themselves. They're not going to make them do that. They're just going to fucking fold. And it's just it just creates angles and it creates a seam. And even if it's not drawn up the way it is in the playbook, they give their offensive linemen answers so that they don't make them do things that are overly difficult against freak athletes. Like, you're not going to try to reach Quinn and Williams. Why bother? Like, do something else. Yeah, if you watch football, what they do just makes sense. I think that's mm-hmm. kind of the best way I explain it. It's like, we're going to run the football. Our play action is going to look the same exact way. Uh, we're going to have an RPO off of different things. We're going to put our players in the best position for space. Now with the RPO game and the way they spread people out in the pass run option game too, it's there's no mistake why. The, now their roster is insane too, but it's no mistake why every year and what they did in Atlanta too when Shanahan was the OC with mm-hmm. Dan Quinn as the head coach, what they did offensively. Uh, let's see, defensively, I'm going to think about mine, but I'm going to ask you, your favorite defense to watch um, in the NFL on a weekly basis. Ooh, you know, it kind of changes from year to year because, you know, there was a time where I was like, man, Brian Flores calling zero 15% of the time, no matter what, that's fun. Uh, but then teams figured out how to beat zero. Uh, so I was like, oh, maybe don't do that as much. Uh, you know, Vic Fangio, I feel is kind of timeless, right? Everybody loves Vic Fangio. Um, th- the things he gets away with from a coverage perspective are fascinating. He's like the only guy that I think can play not quarter, quarter, half, but half, quarter, quarter and play a half field safety to the passing strength and get away with it. I'm like, that's risky, but it works for Vic because he's he's Vic, right? And um, he has unreal D lines usually. That's, like, yeah, that, that helps. He's, <laughs> he's just got dudes, right? And yeah. that's any really good defense. If I'm thinking through the defenses, I mean, the Niners are so much fun to watch because they're how the wide nines create issues for tackles and tight ends and, and really everybody. Um and then how they can have such great team speed on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, I hate go Niners back to back, but just the way they create problems of the teams I we watch on film. And then last year we played the Niners in Carolina, and I'm thinking of all the teams we played. We played some unbelievable defenses. Don't get me wrong. But, man. You know what but, makes the Niners go, though, is Fred. Because they, they can – like when they're in the second half, right, and they got like an eight-point lead or a nine-point lead, something like that. They play more cover two than anybody else because mm. they can. You, you know, run. when you ha- when you have Fred, who 
like their safeties can just expand so far over the top down the boundary. So you're not getting chunks outside because they know they have Fred running the pole up the middle and you can't get away from him. Like even, even if you kind of like lean inside on the seam and then stop and break. And that's what some people try to do, right? Is they try to get the linebacker to panic and they'll kind of like really bend that seam up the middle because they're trying to get the linebacker to turn his head and then they slam on the brakes and they whip back out. Fred's not going to do that. He's just going to literally slide into your back hip and make you, break down because he knows that he's good enough that even if you're a step on him, you're even if you, the ball hits your hands, it's you're not going to the ground with it. Like he is that good in coverage and no other defense can get away with that. No other defense can play cover two that much when the offense knows they're playing cover two and get away with it. It's just, it's an insane advantage having him at Mike. It's a great point. And it goes back to the D line too. It's like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Nick's, time not, Nick's not giving you more than two and a half seconds anyway. So. No, no, there's so much to, to talk about. And I'm, I'm looking at my TV here and they're going through, you know, the different opponents uh, for all these different teams. And it's always fun, the schedule release thing. Uh, but before we get into schedule stuff, um, is there a trend offensively that you've seen in the last couple of years? This is great, by the way. I mean, I've already said this to you already. This is awesome because this is like real football talk. And my real diehard football people are going to be like, Stop talking, Colin. Let this guy go. Um, my question for you is, is there a trend mm-hmm. offensively you've seen over the last couple of years where you're like, man, this has become a real thing? Uh, motion at the snap, I would say, right. um, especially in the run game. And we see it with Shanahan. We saw it with Greg Roman. Um, and I think it, it, it just – there are some quarterbacks, especially old-school quarterbacks, that they prefer things to be static so they can see things and the picture isn't changing on them. And I think that for a while, especially in the, the, the 2000s and the 2010s, those older quarterbacks, especially the ones that can't move as well, um, were like, I want everything to be stationary so that if a rotation is happening, I know that it's the defense that's rotating and not them reacting, which is, t- which is a different mindset to have, right? We talk about the human element. If you see a safety rotation – that you know is not a reaction to motion. It's because you know they're getting into a certain coverage. And there are some quarterbacks that it's like, if the safeties are moving, I want to know it's not because of us. It's because that's what they're getting into. And then I can go into my, if it's middle field close versus middle field open reads. There are some quarterbacks now that are so used to seeing all these, these pre-snap or these, you know, at the snap uh, rotations and stuff where in order to respond to that, the new age offenses are doing motion at the snap so that you don't feel comfortable doing a rotation at the snap because you might be rotating into something that's wrong. And so now they're forcing defenses to be stationary and reactive rather than proactive. And it, it really screws up run fits. Um, it really screws up in terms of, you know, uh, like if, if let's just say uh, the jet motion, right? There's a lot of defenses that stay in two high safeties uh, no matter what. Now, even if they have cover three called, they'll present it too high at first because if they're getting motion, they just they don't know which safety is going to the post and which is rotating. So they'll use those safeties to come from, you know, from the top of the shelf to handle that motion. Um, and it makes them reactive, which you don't want to be on defense, because if the offense knows that they can use motion at the snap to determine which safety is going deep and which one isn't, that means they know which which safety has their back turned. And so they can hit that seam on the backside hit. 
of that safety. And it's just that evolution, right, of how it used to be offenses preferred no motion so they could track rotations to now offenses using motion so they can dictate rotations is an entirely new world of offense. And it makes it so damn hard to stop. Guys, if you want more of this stuff, keep, we're going to keep talking about it, but just check out Brett Coleman's YouTube page if you're a football junkie and you want to learn more as a fan and educate yourself, which I think the fan bases really want to now. I'm from Philly. Um, yeah, so if you're going to be the scream and yell fan that, you know, the quarterback should have done this every play and that fan, yeah, sure, everybody's going to be that type of fan. But there's really a good group of people that want to really learn the game and ask questions and talk about why they got why you know split safety, why they're trying to exploit the middle of the field or why they're not trying to because of a guy like Fred Warner. Lots to talk about. Now, for me, defensive trends, let's see. And I want to hear your thoughts and where you're at. I think, obviously, a big defensive trend you're seeing now, and that's probably because you know, Flores, Martindale, those guys are getting more, is cover zero, right? Pressure mm-hmm. um, until you get dusted. But people are going to bring pressure. It's going to create turnovers. It's going to create sacks. It's going to create th- these cover zero meetings we have. And for those listening at home, what cover zero is, no safety in the middle of the field. They're bringing one more than you can protect. Everyone else is man-to-man coverage. DBs are usually six to eight yards off the off the off the receivers, tight ends, knowing that's going to be a quick throw. And they are back, they're not backpedaling. They are on a drive on it because it's a mm-hmm. slant, it's a slant and go, it's a hitch, it's a looky. The ball's coming out right away. So I think the trend has been cover zero because the amount of time you have to spend as an offense trying to figure out protections, trying to figure out what to do, just for the fact that your quarterback got to put it exactly where he needs to put it, why the the receiver's getting really tough technique. And there's someone right in the quarterback's face. So I would say cover zero. And then defensive line-wise, I think you see more wide nines. You see more – right. a couple of years mm-hmm. ago, I remember being at Philly. It's like Justin Babbin, the Eagles shouldn't be in a wide nine. And now I'm like, man, like, holy cow. <laughs> it's a pain in the ass if you're a player because it's almost – they call it a 97 technique. I start in a nine, I end up in a seven. I go yeah. to reach you, you're blowing through my inside shoulder and you're blowing me up. So you're trying to knock them back towards the sideline. And your inside shoulder is getting blown open. And then the, the triple with you and the tackle, the double team doesn't work. Then it gets split and you look like an ass. And you're like, I don't know what you want me to do. And if you down block. The reason why ahead. they do that, too, is because the safety screaming. Like, the safety's force anyway. Like, they don't yeah. they don't need the edge to be forced. They're, no, they're going inside they no matter a, what. And they have a freaking unit out there usually, right, playing at Boza. <laughs> so, or if you go down, he's playing through your outside shoulder and he's blowing you up. So, yeah, there's a lot of really good stuff. I, I think for me, it'd be more wide nines. Running linebackers, right? That's been the new thing. I remember playing in college. A lot of guys could run as well. Now everybody can run. If you can't, you'll be exploited. Mm-hmm. Um, so those there are lots a lot there. Wide nines, moving backers really can cover. And then cover zero. Yeah, you know, the thing with zero, and um I, I don't know how much uh how much you guys were watching um Dable. Um and then in in this past year, also uh, the Bills when they went down in Miami, and Miami tried zero a little bit early on. I think it was actually the first play of the game they called zero. They have too many guys though. Bills will take the Bills are too seasoned. It's too much organization. They well, can take advantage. What's of fascinating it. though, from a schematic perspective, and I, and I saw them totally rip this off what the Ravens did the year before because the uh, the Dolphins called zero thirty five times in one game against the Ravens the, the season prior. And um, I did a video. You have a great on cut it. up on that, by the way. Great video it, on it. I know, you're, oh, I know you just said that. It's fantastic. If you're a Ravens fan, if you're a Dolphins fan, whatever. You just want to learn more about defense and offense. Watch the watch your tape. It's 35 plays, right? Ravens, Dolphins. Yeah. I watched it. It's fantastic. 
And what I found fascinating though was one of the answers the Ravens had in that game. It didn't, they didn't hit it. They didn't hit the throw, but schematically it was a great answer for zero. And the Bills ripped it off the next year. Uh, it was week three. And what they did, and I'm curious to see when you guys were in meetings if if, if you saw this, um, is they started out in empty, they got the zero presentation, and then they motioned a tight end, and they didn't show that that tight end coming in motion was going to be a late ad for protection. And so the DB that was covering him, which typically if you motion in and you're static, right? We talk about motion at the snap. If you motion in and you're static, then that DB is just going to add on and they're going to outnumber you again. But they did it at the snap. So they didn't know at the snap that he was actually motioning in to to even up in the protection. And Mm -hmm. so that DB that was covering him didn't have time to come down and add on anyway. So they got two and a half seconds with no safety help deep and Diggs ran like a seam route with to, to grass right and there's nothing the, the dolphin and they, i don't think they called zero the rest of the game because they're like oh shit we have no answer for that <laughs> so and that's, that's just the little cat and mouse yeah and that's what yeah. it takes you have to hit them but if not like we played miami cam newton was our quarterback in carolina i was mm-hmm. inactive i was staying on the sideline it's street close and they brought zero every time right new quarterback mm-hmm. right cam is still a stud but can't throw it like you used to that's no secret and yeah uh and you're just like man this is such a pain in the ass can you guys just stop and can we just play real football <laughs> uh, everyone's like yeah we're gonna have this check here for the run game we're gonna we're gonna run it here protect it here right your meetings are all like gosh we're gonna knock the hell out of cover zero and then you face it yeah so i think that'd be the trend it's a great call um yeah it's an interesting thing and 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 it's just i think the tight end position has changed a lot of how the nfl mm-hmm. functions now it's more of a pass catcher now but it's funny. These guys come in at pass catchers, and then like three years later, they have to block duo in a crunch time, and like the guys are getting it done because the listen boys, like yeah, you want to catch balls all you want, but if you can't, it's what kept me alive because I'm a blocking guy. I would say I'm a blocking tight end. who has got great hands. I'm just super slow, and I can't separate versus man to man. I can, but not only you're not paying me a hundred million to do it, you know. Yeah. So. It's, I know all, it's I all fun and games for those big slot guys until the Y gets hurt, and then you got to play Y, and you're like, "Oh God, yeah, <laughs> I got to so, I, I got to block Nick Bosa. <laughs> I got to block Bosa and hold on to your life. You got to strike the shit out of him and hold on." So, no, it's it's a great, it's always great debate. I think the tight end position, and I, I want to ask you because you've been watching film for a while. I think Rob Gronkowski is the king. I think there's mm-hmm. no, okay. really no one even close to him. Um, everyone's like, "Whoa, receiving yard." <laughs> Listen. The guy who's the best blocking tight end in the league his entire time he was there. And I played with – seen a lot of really good Mercedes Lewis, Chris Manhurts, really Ian Thomas. I mean, I played with a lot of really good guys. Gronk, I mean, just dominant. Pass protection, dominant. And then, of course, what I think separated him was his – this his just F-U, big body, put the ball anywhere near him, one-handed catches, like just chaos. He was just chaos. He's a builder player. Um, I think he's the best ever. Obviously, a huge fan of Kittle and Kelsey. You know, Mark Andrews. I'm a huge Jason Witten guy. Antonio Gates. Like, they all – Jimmy Graham. It's all different people. But to me, Gronk is the greatest ever. Uh, what are your thoughts? You know, I, I think – apologies if you can hear the helicopter above me. Um, I think Kittle is also an elite blocking tight end, but in a different way than Gronk. And I think he has certain strengths that Gronk didn't have. Um, and Gronk obviously had strengths that Kittle didn't have. If I need somebody who can go out there and – dig out a, a five technique that widens out to play either a loose five or a six, and he's got to dig him out. It's going to be Gronk, right? 
Um, if I need somebody who is in line and there's a nine and, you know, we talk about nine getting into a seven, going inside shoulder, and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Somebody who a can take a bucket step and reach him and can actually do that. So the tackle doesn't have to worry about it and they can just throw an arm at the three or, or if it's like a, a loose three or slash four, eye, whatever you want to call it and then get mm-hmm. up to the second level because you know your tight end can reach the edge. And if he goes inside, he can slam on the brakes and hold him there. So he's not knifing. He's just stuck. And all of a sudden you got the edge because Trent's out there. He's picking off some poor linebacker, right? Uh, if I need any of that type of stuff where it's more about getting to an angle than it is about blowing somebody up, I, I, I would take Kittle, but no, that's a good a point. It's two different offenses. Set. And I think two different offenses. Right, like New, uh, New England was very like duo based, like power punch, play action, counter based. Um, Gronk would run those routes over the middle, but yeah, it's a great point. Like, and I think too, it goes back to a lot, a lot of people understand is not everyone's on the same page all the time. And what New England, excuse me, New England was too, of course, but the Niners do. This is like a Niners podcast today. Is like everyone's on the same page in the run game. Like everyone knows the tackle's going to be there if you're double teaming them, if you're a tight end. Like there's no debate. Like. Mm-hmm. A lot of organizations I've played in, sometimes everyone says it. Yeah, the title, when you go reach the Y9, the tackle's going to be right there if he plays inside. Tackle takes one step, goes to the backer, and you look like an idiot. You know, so yeah. um, I think, too, they he plays reckless because that's a part of the scheme of we're all going to be running on a track. We're not looking back. We are hauling ass. I played for um, the late, great George DeLeon, who was the O-line mm-hmm. coach of the Browns when um, Shanahan was – the OC and those mm-hmm. some good Browns. Like I think that was Crowell. Like did some good backs like Jordan Cameron. The O-line was nasty with Petonio yeah. and a Swartz and obviously Joe Thomas. They had like center. four, four pro bowlers on that offensive line. It was insane. So people don't really talk about that Browns team, but like I think Hoyer was a quarterback, but I watched a lot of that tape and everyone's like, it's like, it looks like a puppet show. Everyone's on the same lines and strings. You pull here, this guy goes here. And and again, if you watch football, folks, like just watch the Niners. That's how, that's how it's done. Everyone teaches it, but they execute it. I know I'm all. We could talk about. Let's talk about somebody other than the Niners here because we all day. I just love their pieces. Um, I love what they do, offensively. Huge Kittle fan. I think he's the best tight end in the league. I think Travis Kelsey is a Hall of Fame receiver, mm-hmm. and that doesn't take anything away from Travis. Being a Hall of Famer is extremely impossible, and he is a Hall of Famer, but he doesn't really block it, buddy. He, well, he um, even admits that, right? He knows what his yeah. role is. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Okay, so we're Philly-based. I'm from Philly. Uh, Eagles offense this year, I think, mm-hmm. uh, did an amazing job. We talk about accumulation of talent. Um, they have it at all spots and lots of it. Um, I think with them, it's very unique. They went – because Sirianni comes from you know, Frank Wright, comes from Doug Peterson, comes from Andy Reid, comes from Matt Nagy. It's all the same deal. <clears throat> but to me, they went, they, they spread it out a little bit, became a little bit more of a college offense with the read option and RPO and making the, them cover the, cover the whole field. You don't see many mm-hmm. tight ends on the field with the Eagles. If not, they're, they're slicing back or they're play action here. Or they're, they're getting in the slot for an RPO and you just let these five offensive linemen lean on 4D linemen and they read one of them. Um, yeah. I, I, what do you think about the Eagles offense? I think it's extremely explosive. I know it's not a hot take, but I think uh, it's a really fun one to watch. 
everything they did offensively was to frustrate you with little body shots, right? To get you into cover one. That's what they wanted. They were going to annoy you until you gave them what they wanted, which was middle field close, so single high safety with press man coverage on the outside. And then 989, folks. That's what we're calling. A.J. Brown, go run your go route. (laughs) Jalen's going to drop it to you. He had an 80% contested catch rate on go balls down the sideline this year. That is – it's not possible. (laughs) But it was possible because Jalen was the best at throwing that fade ball in the entire league. And you could literally see it. Like there were there were some times where they had they had stuff on, and you could see Jalen pre-snap, and he's like, "Oh my god, they gave me cover one," and he would just kind of do this to AJ, and he's like, "Just come two yards in, give yourself a little bit more space, and then boom, ball snap, go." And it was wicked. Like it was just evil, right? Because you knew it was coming. They were gonna do all the RPO stuff. They were gonna you know call inside zone eight times in a row until you got tired of it, and they're like, "We need another body down here," and then. There it is. There's the bomb. And they did it every week and nobody could ever stop them because they're better than you. Like, that's just how it is. I love it. And the best part about this is I hope uh, we build a rapport and you can come back on because there's so much I want to ask you here. And I want to get a couple of good questions here before we wrap things up. Okay. So where do I even go from here? Because my mind is spinning on things to ask you because you got a tremendous football mind and tons of respect has been gained. Okay. Okay. Uh, um, are you big on the draft? Interesting. Are you, you follow a lot of the draft? Or are you more like breaking down exactly what the NFL is about? Oh, I'm a, I'm a draft junkie. I love it. Okay. Mainly because it's so, the only time of year where every team has hope, right? Yeah. Right. All 32 are all in. Okay. So draft junkie, if you had to pick one or two players that stand out to you that are going to have a big impact on teams this year, who are mm. they? Um, this is going to be so out of left field um no i don't but, like it there's nothing it's left field it's educated you're, <laughs> you're going to make an educated decision here and you're going to speak it and some fan who watched no football is going to tell you what you don't know i love it give it to us uh keon white who's a second round pick with the patriots out of georgia tech um freak athlete right he's like 6'5 285 dynamite in his hands you know they played him at three they played him at five they played him at nine and he was all up and down in the front for georgia tech he was the best player and the Patriots took him and I, I actually thought they could have taken him at 14. Like originally I was like, Hey, it'd be like, it's, I don't know if it's going to happen, but if, if he's going to go in the first round, like that's where it starts is at 14. They got him at like 48. I think it was. And he is such a Patriots defensive lineman because as you know, the Patriots have the wildest group of fronts. Like they will, they will just take dudes and line them up everywhere. They'll take a 285 pounder and stand him up in front of the center. Like they'll they'll play him at nine. They'll play him at three. They'll play him at five. And they're uh, all big, strong. They're heavy all handed, huge. <laughs> they're all heavy, huge. heavy, heavy, heavy guys. Yeah. But the fact that Keon's such a good athlete. I mean, there were some times where um, uh, it's called a peel technique, which is like uh, a way for defenses to do. Um, uh, a post snap like flare control. If there's if there's if they are minus one to the edge in coverage whoever's on the edge like you're peeling buddy (laughs) there's nobody else like you're taking that wheel out from the running back and he's 285 pounds and did that a lot of defenses if they realize they're minus one they're like oh we gotta we gotta get to something different georgia tech didn't because this big defensive tackle looking dude could literally 
turn on a dime and get on his horse and run with a running back down the field on a wheel route, which is nuts. Um, and Bill's going to exploit the hell out of that. So I, I love him as a fit. You know, he's never going to be like the flashiest guy. But uh, did you ever play against Adam Butler when he was there? Um, because when no. Bill, when Bill, the only guys I played Burrow, against that I remember would be Judon, Hightower, I had my handful of them. Uh, oh, I don't remember. I know disrespect to, to Mr. Butler. I just, I had enough to worry about. No, Hightower is a monster. But what they would monster. do with Adam Butler is when they would call zero, right? Like how they specifically call zero is um, the interior four guys are reading the slide, right? And so wherever the center's eyes go, those guys, it's like, I got your attention. I did my job. I'm dropping out. And so Adam that is Butler, something new. That is something new. And I'm talking oh, about a pain in the ass. Yeah. Well, you see Miami doing it, which is part of uh-huh. England. But in your breakdown, you see it. If anybody, essentially, folks, for those who are watch, listening and not watching or watching and need explaining, and I'm sorry for cutting you off, Brett, but it, it's a great point. It's when, when the O linemen set to you and touch you, that means the O lineman, the, the room in the O line room, tight end rooms, you touch them, you buy them. So you go and <laughs> set to that guy, you put your hands on him, he's yours. He drops into coverage. The guy comes right behind you because he wasn't touched. So it's a shit show, for lack of a better term, and it's really hard to stop. <laughs> and they would, and and the thing with Adam Butler, again, very unheralded player, is when he would he would get you, like he'd get the center. And he's like, "You're mine, cool." And this is like half second into the play, right? Even then, he could still put his foot in the ground and get ten yards deep and fill that middle hole as a defensive tackle after doing his job and getting the slide to him. And the, and not only would he get into that middle hole, but he would also, you know, turn his eyes and scan like he's a, a linebacker dropping in a, a hot zone. He would scan. And if he didn't see anything coming, he's like, well, it's probably coming from the other way. And he would literally just drift into where he knew that receiver was coming behind him. And it's like, that's insane. Like he yeah. took away the window without even, he just felt it. Right. So it's like not only did he draw the slide and open up, but he got not just in the window, but in the part of the window where he knew the receiver was going to be based on the timing of the play. And I'm like, God, that's special. And I think Keon White's going to be that, but mix in freak athleticism. And that's that's why I love that pick. And that's like the AFC, right? It's like, I mean, yeah. all, everyone's big and a pain in the ass. Trust me, from a tight end, it's 255 trying to figure this out. But you play the AFC North, it's like, you better be ready to rock. Yeah. Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. Be ready to bring your lunch pail, which I love. It's the type of guy I am, but it's a different beast. Like you can hear it when you talk about different teams. Like each division has their own personality. Really. It, it's mm-hmm. really unique. And you, in a player, fan's perspective, man, I'd see it. But when you're in the media rooms, you're like, well, this guy's 330. This guy's 285. This guy. And you're like, oh, these guys are another 20 pounds heavier than the last team he played. Now they have their pros and cons, right? Just like anything. No one's perfect. Um, but you know, there, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack when it comes to well, different divisions. It's like when, when you were at temple, were you under rule at temple? Yeah. Yeah. That 14, 15 and 16, that whole culture there at that time, you guys were fucking psychopaths. Psychopaths. Like, <laughs> that was ins- like, it, Oh, okay. Have you ever talked about the prestige of getting a single digit number? under rule at temple uh, and like what I that have not meant. talked about it on the show but yes you can that if you were a single digit number at temple in that era you were probably a serial killer like there was no other way to get that 
Or a second contract guy in the NFL at this point in time. <laughs> yeah, very true. Very true. Third, fourth. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I transferred in from the University of Florida, and we're just getting to know each other. So I, I was the number one tight end in the country coming out in 2012. I went to the University of Florida. Will Muschamp wanted to be offensive-wise the next Alabama, beat the shit out of people, run the ball, right? And at the time, that was Alabama was kicking and screaming. They still are kicking, but um, they were it. They were it. There wasn't any Georgia like that like it is now. It was Aaron Murray, Georgia, who was still good, but not Bama. Yeah. Um, so that year, put in perspective for people listening, was Notre Dame getting blown out year. We were third in the country. Um, they were second, Notre Dame. Notre Dame was one, Bama was two, So or whatever that was. Um, so to make a long story short, I ended up breaking my foot, get medically disqualified from University of Florida, and I had to leave. I had a transfer. I was devastated. I was devastated. I met my wife, all our friends. Uh, Football-wise, was a perfect match. It's everything I wanted and more. It was my dream come true. For a Philly kid, right? Awesome. Well, mm-hmm. I had no offers when I when I had to transfer. They're like, "Yeah, your foot's done." These Florida doctors are telling me you should never play football again. I was like, "Well, shit, I, I'm going to the NFL. I'm playing football. It's going to happen, whether it's happening here or Division three, whatever. I'm going to play." So, Montana, because of Marty Morningweg and Scholar Morningweg, who was my roommate in Florida, they all gave me a scholarship, mm-hmm. and they're my first one, which I don't talk about a lot because it doesn't add a lot to the story. Shout out to Marty for making that happen. Um, great people, good football mind for sure, and. Um, yeah, long story short, I ended up going to Temple. Matt Rule's my only offer, and I got there. And I walked into the like the first practice, and I was like, holy shit. This team should be playing the University of Florida. The best mm-hmm. player should be. And there was a lot of them. And there was I a think, lot of I guys. I think Reddick, Reddick, Reddick was there, right? Hassan Reddick? Hassan wasn't one of those players at the time, though. Hassan was a DB trying to figure out like, the rest of us. Yeah. You know? I'm talking like Tavon Young. I'm talking Tyler Medikevich. This mm-hmm. guy, Kyle Friend, who people may not know about, but bounced around on practice squads around the league. Should have been I in the NFL for mm-hmm. 10 years. The guy was a 45-rep bench press guy, 225, ran like the wind. He was like an all-state wrestler. Like, just stupid. Deion Dawkins is on every NFL Network commercial. Um, the whole D-line rolling two sets of four, like a hockey line change, was – either guys that have led the CFL or NFL at sacks at one point in time or TFLs. I mean, it's just stupid. I couldn't believe it. Everyone's like, you're a Temple guy. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm a University of Florida guy who transferred in there. Yeah. Um, all When I was at Carolina, at one point in time, our huddle was P.J. Walker, me, Robbie Anderson, Keith Kirkwood, and Ventel Bryant, all Temple guys in a seven-on-seven period in one play, which was really cool. So yeah, I digress, but that team – you either undersized and not going to play it to the league and, and you're a nut job or you're an NFL player. That was mm-hmm. the different. That was it. It was unique as hell. And you can't explain it to people other than now we have these debates all the time in NFL locker rooms. I'm like, just look at our roster. Like this is temple. No. You don't understand. This is temple tough though, man. Temple tough. This isn't like a thing. Yeah. This isn't some big program. Like this is this look how many guys are in the NFL. Temple tough is a thing. It was, it's coming back hopefully, but that was unique. And I think coach will do it in Nebraska. There's, there's no were, doubt in my you, mind. Were, so were you at Montana for a full season? No, I never went to Montana. They were just off. They just offered me. So I went oh, Florida okay. 12 and 13 and then Temple 14, 15, 16. Then I went Giants. Mergey Abendectomy on her back. Mac, ben McAdoo got cut. And then back <laughs> Zach Miller. Oh, McAdoo. Don't even yeah, get me And started. you know what? Everybody says that. I love the guy. Oh, listen, I don't know. I don't know what it looks like from a 10,000 foot view because I'm in it and I love it. And I love that guy. And I love the, the grind, you know, love that guy's work ethic and who he is like, love the person. 
Um, so I can't speak about what it looks like from a 10,000 foot view offensively and all that from your perspective, yeah. but I love the man. And when I was in the giants, I hated him because he used to get on me all the time. And I stunk, you know, I was a rookie and I, he, I undrafted guy when they drafted Evan Ingram, I should have got ridden. Um, so I and yet up, you and Evan were both in the league, you know, last time I checked, like, you know, it's like 2022. Yeah, <laughs> um, so I got cut from there and then I went bears. Um, when Zach Miller blew his knee out, they I had a workout. Mm. Yeah, and I remember that. I there was like five of us there, and I won it, which was like the coolest thing in the world. I didn't even know what was going on. You know, I'm like just happy to be in the league. I wasn't ready to be on the active, but I was definitely ready for the practice squad. And uh, yeah, developed, kept developing. The day they traded for Cleo Mack next year with Nagy, I got cut. Worked, coached, finance, did play by play, color commentary for Temple Radio. Temple football radio for Philly sports talk radio for three years. I was in and out of the league after the bears, XFL, AAF, Birmingham iron, um, Bay Vipers. And then three years in Carolina with coach rule. So it's been a great run. Um, I'm free agent in 29. I feel best I ever felt and I'm ready to go. Hopefully sign with the team here soon. But, uh, yeah, man, it's been quite the journey. Um, it's well, been I know you're going to be on a team just because it's hard to find a why. Like it's, it's, it's not yeah, a one, common somebody, thing. Oh, everybody carries one of them, right? It used to be yeah. they carry four, three or four. Like Mercedes Lewis is look. like a grandfather and he's still playing because he's a good Y. Like it's yeah, hard to get. It's hard yeah, to get, so, man. We'll see. I'm leaning out, man. I'm, I'm staying lean and ready to go. And yeah, it's a fun thing as I digress here. Uh, would, would you, would you ever go coach with, uh, with coach rule at Nebraska? If given the opportunity. I can't, I can't confirm nor deny that there was an opportunity given at one point. Of time. Oh, um, there we go. <laughs> um, and, and him and I always talk freely, you know, yeah. um, it was tongue in cheek probably, but he knows I'm still going. Um, yeah. So when well, I'm done, 29, you got, you know, as far as tight end years go, you got another eight years left in you. So. <laughs> I hope man, if I could do eight, you kidding me, I, I would like to get a couple more. That's for sure. And, um, you know, we'll see. It's, 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 as you know, this is a crazy business and you could be somewhere tomorrow. I've been like ready to go on vacation and all of a sudden you get a call and you're gone. And I've been sitting on my couch waiting for a call and uh, New Orleans called me at like nine o'clock at night on a Thursday and they're starting mini camp the next morning. And I had to get on the last flight out of Newark oh, and I got man. down there and played the best football of my life. And I like, yeah. didn't like, I was training, but I wasn't like, whatever, you know, I was like, just, excuse me, trying to stay in shape. And, Dan Campbell was tight end coach. I had the best mini camp in my life, best three days of football I ever played, ne- ever. And I like they made me stay around, which they normal, right? And and I didn't sign. Um, yeah, which is fine. Ended up signing my buddy Mike Burton, the fullback, who's a great friend of mine, in uh, Kansas City now with Denver. I'm interested to see what Denver's going to do this year. I'd love to be there, of course. My buddy Chris Manhurts, I think he's one of the best blocking tight ends in the league. He's there. Mike McGlinchey, another buddy, friend of the show, right tackle. I think he's a great signing. Um. They're going to beat the hell out of him. He's Matt Ryan's cousin, by the way. Oh, yeah. We all grew up together. Mm-hmm. You did? No way. Yeah. So there's there's the one brother, which is the last name Lockery, who is Doug Flutie's backup at uh-huh. BC. Also, Mike Mayock's best friend. So yeah. there's Lockery. And then it's six sisters that marry different families. One married a McCain, one married a Ryan, one married a McGlinchey, all these Irish Catholics from Philly. Yeah, yeah. And that is what the majority of our athletic population is made up of. Uh, and, and Archdi- <laughs> yes, and Archdiaconos, if you know uh-huh. NFL, if you call 
follow NBA basketball and college basketball, Arch and his brother, and all his cousins are all Division One players too. So that's like the big guys in our area. Yeah, so Mike grew up five minutes from where I went to high school. And, uh, yeah, all the, I played with his cousins. Matt, the McCains, his, his first cousin, was our captain and just when I was a junior. So, yeah, yeah, I know the family well. Yeah, it's good stuff. No, they're good, that, they're that, good that Eastern PA, you know, Jersey pocket, Oh, yeah. There's like a lot of talent that comes out of there. Tons. Like that debate is not even the same with Pittsburgh anymore. Jack's in the back and he's pumping his fist. That he played a half pro horse on which is maybe the worst football team in the area. Um, but he played there and I love you, Jack, for it. You're a stud. You're a starter. Um, yeah, it's strong. It's strong in the Pittsburgh now when it was not before. Um, I think, you know, it's funny because I, I, you know, I, I'm going to Pittsburgh actually next month and I got, I got friends from there. And Great like, city. You know, they, 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 they're like, we got Revis, we got Donald, like, we, like they're naming all these Hall of Famers. Um, and that you almost like don't realize have come out of, of Western PA and you're like, wow, they actually do have like a oh. crazy roster. Right. Mike Dick, uh, it's, uh-huh. it, it wouldn't be, it's not as new school. I'm not even saying it's that old school either. But it was like when I was growing up, it was like Pittsburgh was it. Mm-hmm. And now it's Pennsylvania. I mean, St. Joe's Prep alone, DeAndre Swift, oh, yeah. John Runyon's son, Trotter, Marvin Harrison Jr. We have five mm-hmm. guys in the league out of Archbishop Wood. So, you know, Kyle Pitts, Raheem Blackshear, Ryan Bates, um, Greg Webb. So we have a lot of guys. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a great area. It's loaded for sure. It's good stuff. Yeah, it's good, and, uh, That's good Matt Ryan knowledge out of you. Because well, I, I heard it and I was like, I mean, I, you know, same general area. It's like, I, I get it, but I was, I just, it surprised me, right? Because the age difference. And I was like, interesting. Now, I, I grew up, um, if you're familiar with like Southern California, Catholic high school football, modern day, if you've heard of it. Um, yeah. So, you know, Bryce Young, hey, we just got another Heisman winner and another first round pick. Yeah. Shocker. Um, I was in, I was in Matt Barkley's class. Bryce Young. You oh, Matt class? Hold on. Love Barkley, first off. He was in Carolina with us. Uh, great dude. And a story for another day. Next time you're on, I'll tell that story cliffhanger about me being active and him being a- inactive because it was Cam Newton, PJ, and Barkley. And they didn't want Cam-, Cam. Cam just got there and couldn't do two minutes. So if PJ got hurt, they couldn't do two minutes. Hmm. So they, they they put Barkley down, added me up last minute when it was supposed to be the other way around. I'll tell that story on another day when I retire because it's actually got He's a great notice. guy. Love Bark. Super strong. He looks like this like kind of average, like fumpy quarterback. Now, dude's a beast um, and he's been that way since he was 14 he's a beast he's a beast i'm a huge barkley fan we, we were together probably two three days had a couple uh you know you can't even say it, covid you couldn't drink together but I had a couple beers together sorry peeps and uh and this is a good dude but um okay yeah. as we wrap what do you think about the first overall pick how's he gonna do in carolina loaded roster i think it'll be fine so i say this and again the modern day coaching staff had when Bryce first transferred in, they had been there for a long time. Like they had also coached Barkley. They had coached, well, some of them had coached Leinert, um, uh, Colt Brennan, uh, just a, a huge string of guys that went D1 and NFL. Like there was a time where um, it was abnormal for a modern day quarterback to not eventually go to the NFL. Like this mm-hmm. huge string. And, you know, Bryce, um, I think he was in Pasadena at the time, called Cathedral, I think it was the school. Um, and he was coming off the heels of, of JT Daniels, who was a couple of years ahead of him. And JT was at modern day setting every single CIF record. He was breaking all the records that Matt set in 09. That was our class. 
And JT had offers from USC and Bama, and he eventually went to USC and then transferred, and now he's at West Virginia, I think he's, he's there now. But regardless, JT was seen as like the guy, and then Bryce was coming up a couple years behind, and I happened to run into his offensive coordinator, future offensive coordinator, Coach Money, that summer when he was transferring in. And we just we talked at the gas station for like 90 minutes, right? It was middle of the night. We're just at a random gas station talking ball. And he was talking about some of the guys that he's got going D1. And he's like, oh, we got this kid coming in, Bryce Young. And he looked me dead in the eyes and he's like, he hasn't taken a snap for us yet. And I'm, but we've just been doing meetings and doing installs. And so I'm telling you, this is the best one we've ever had. Hadn't even played a single game yet. He's like, this is the best one we've ever had. And he's been there for like 30 years. And then, yeah, he was the best one they ever had. So, you know, the fact that he lived up to all the expectations and then exceeded them and, you know, won, went to Bama, won a Heisman, went first overall. The, the modern-day quarterback tradition is unlike any other high school in the nation, and he's still the best out of all of them. There it is. The great Brett Coleman. We'll see. I think offensive line-wise, Corbett comes back healthy. They don't really get much better than what Carolina has. Um, I think losing DJ more. Oh, Equano, by the way, Equano, we need. Oh, fuck. He's just casual, he's man. He's a super casual oh. all the time. Da, 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 da. And he's just dominant. Him, Moten. I, Bozeman, I, this is going to sound right here. crazy. Bozeman, stud. Bozeman's a monster. Um, I will say, so this is going to sound crazy. Like, Icky really? reminds me a lot of Trent. Like, a lot. Yeah. I think, he's gonna, I think he's going to be that. Light on their feet. I mean, crazy mm-hmm. light on their feet. I mean, Icky oh, is just—I I, always—I use the word casual. He's very yeah, and not casual in a bad way. He doesn't ever look like overwhelmed. It's like, dude, this is the NFL, and he's just dun 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 dun, dun boop, gotcha, dun dun, dun boop, gotcha. And you're like, holy shit, this guy's a stud, man. So light on his feet. Great they guy drafted, too. Uh, they drafted his his former uh, partner in crime at left guard in NC State, Chandler Zavala, in the fourth round. Um, and I, I talked to Chandler for extended like fifteen to. 20 minutes um, when I was at the Shrine Bowl and he was there. Somehow didn't get a combine invite. No idea how. He was incredible. Um, and they drafted him and I, okay, you're going to have to watch this kid next year. I think he's going to start. I really do. Former soccer player. In so Carolina, they drafted him? It, yeah, they drafted him in Carolina. Carolina. It was like sixth round or fifth round? Uh, four, they got him in the fourth. I'm actually surprised fourth he got out of the third. But he's a former soccer player and you know how valuable that can be for an offensive lineman being able to like actually move and having footwork and balance and all that kind of stuff mean is all hell super smart he's he's gonna start man as a fourth rounder i swear to god we'll he's see so good. The, the thing is they have brady christian who's a stud BYU. brady's awesome i think chandler would be on the other side you got allison corbett who's coming off the acl who could be i in my opinion one of the best guards in the entire nfl and then you have cade mace who is a former All-American and all t- at Georgia. That's right. Tennessee. I, for- I forgot so, they do have him. Mm. And then Big Bozy at center. So it's a loaded yeah. group. It's a loaded, loaded. And I believe Elfline's coming off injury there still too. So when I was in Carolina, now last year we were loaded, but the last couple of years, two years before that, it was like a, it was a tough battle offensive line-wise. It's a lot of injuries, a lot of guys not paying out, whatever it may be. It's a strength, and it may be one of the best, if not the best position group in the NFL offensive line wise now especially after a lot of the free agency this year with the Niners losing Bunskill and McGlinchey and you know like I'm talking 
moving forward. Uh, I'm trying to think who the, else would be the Eagles. With of that course. group, though, with um, that group, though, the fact that they traded Christian and there was zero fall off in rushing production. Like no, we, we, we doubled down. It's just like it's just like we're just gonna run over everybody. Like it doesn't matter who's getting the ball. We're just gonna run over everybody. Like that yeah, was James, insane. James Camp and the O line coach there is is about as good as they get. I've been around. Love the guy. Character. Former NFL player. Uh, great stuff, dude. 53 minutes. We could literally go 53 hours and we will. I look forward to having you back on if you join us. Um, guys, check out Brett Coleman across all social media. Love your YouTube, man. And uh, love talking football. It's flew by. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Coming from a time where kids think they're gangsta Talking like a dog but they're living in New Hampshire I'm the only one